What's good, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got news from Attack Attack, Counterparts, While She Sleeps, Architects, A Radio Rundown, and part one of our deep dive on the life and death of Woe Is Me. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. As always, you can listen to the songs mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right. Let's get started. So obviously the big news this week is that Attack Attack is back. We broke the news over at notetoscene.com with a post confirming that they are recording new music with infamous modern metalcore producer Joey Sturgis. I believe this is the first time Joey is producing a scene band since Asking Alexandria's 2016 album The Black. For those who don't know, Joey basically created the modern metalcore sound. I think the first official project he worked on was the Devil Wears Prada's first album, Dear Love, A Beautiful Discord, and then the rest was honestly history. He ruled the boards for everyone from Miss May I and We Came As Romans to Of Mice and Men and Amir, and of course, Attack Attack. This dude made some good money off of modern metalcore, saturated the hell out of the scene, and got the fuck out. So for him to be back, it's a pretty big deal. So Andrew Wetzel, Attack Attack's drummer, came to us with the story and honestly wouldn't even tell us more than what was in our post. You can go to the band's new Instagram right now and see that they're following seven accounts, two of which are Wetzel's new label, Oxide Records, and Joey Sturgis. The other five accounts are Wetzel, Andrew Whiting, who is an original Attack Attack member from 2007, and also in the ex-Attack Attack band Drudge, Chris Parketney, who plays in the ex-Attack Attack band Nine Shrines, but never played in Attack Attack before, Cameron Perry, who actually plays in the deathcore band Traitors right now, and then Jay Miller, who also plays in the ex-Attack Attack band Drudge. We learned on Monday that Johnny Frank and Caleb Shomo will not be involved in the band's return. Caleb and his wife were incredibly adamant about not being involved, but Johnny's response was fairly positive, so maybe he'll come around at the very least and be featured on a song in some way, or just be involved in any way. I mean, this is supposed to be something that's fun. Obviously, Caleb was never going to be involved in any kind of Attack Attack reunion. He has talked on multiple occasions about how traumatic those years were for him, but nevertheless, Attack Attack will be releasing new music, and I think it's safe to say we'll be getting it in 2020. Personally, I would have dropped the first song with the comeback announcement. You're never gonna get it any bigger than that initial first push. Attack Attack literally trended at number eight in the United States on Monday. They would have came out of the gate swinging, but let's be honest, like I said, there is no commercial aspect here. This is purely a scene moment. It's purely for fun. There won't be big first week units or insane stream numbers. It's really honestly just proof that literally every band ever will eventually come back. I saw over the weekend that fucking I Call Fives is making new music now. For those who don't know, they were a small ass modern pop punk band that members of other failed modern pop punk bands love to say is their favorite band. But anyways, like I said, every band is coming back, so if years hasn't yet, don't worry, they're coming in some capacity. I'm excited to see what this Attack Attack stuff sounds like. 
Everyone remembers what This Means War sounded like, but everyone seems to have forgotten that before they changed their name to Native, they released a final Attack Attack song called No Defeat, and it was pretty rock radio centered, but with a fun synth backbone. And I've already been down that rabbit hole of how Attack Attack essentially prophesized the entire Bring Me the Horizon synth radio rock movement with one song, so I'm not gonna go there. But bottom line, Regardless of the lineup, this is an insanely fun story for our world, and I cannot wait to see what they have in store. In other news, late last week, what's left of scene Twitter got its boxers in a bunch when Counterparts put up a hoodie for $100. It's so hilarious when the scene gets pissed about bands charging money for things. All the way back to Polaroid Gate with Kellen Quinn, there's always an impending emo price controversy. And I absolutely admit, I have fallen victim to rage reacting to prices. I could not believe when fucking Bayside's vocalist was trying to sell handwritten lyric sheets for $125. And that was pre-pandemic. I still can't believe people were cool with paying that, especially in 2020, but I learned my lesson when a lot of people told me that they were cool with it and understood. I mean, whatever. Y'all do what you want with your money. And that's what Counterpart's vocalist Brendan conveyed perfectly with his hilarious response to the backlash. Here's the audio of the videos he posted. Hey everyone, it's it's Brendan here. Just want to uh, say, one, I'm sorry about the price of the hoodie, and two, you got me, okay? You caught us, uh, us red-handed or green-handed, if you think about it. Because money's green. And um, yeah, they actually don't cost that much to make. They're so fucking cheap. Um, and I'm I'm lying. So I'm just bad in general. Um, I deserve to be shot lots of times with so many bullets. And um, yeah, like there's nothing I... I don't... There's not a greater pleasure I personally know than, um, you know just fucking with people, the six people that like our band. So I'm sorry. Um, it'll never happen again. So, uh, bye. And furthermore, um, I also want to, furthermore, is that the right? Me also wanna say sorry to anyone that, um, already didn't like our band because, um, who wouldn't have bought the hoodie Anyway, who wouldn't even wear it if it was free, which all merch should be, um, because I know that this was probably like this, this garment, this clothes was probably going to be the one thing that like turned you on to the band and, and started, started you liking us. Um, so I'm sorry for that. Also, um, anyone that, uh, is forced to buy the hoodie. I know that like whenever a band comes out with stuff, you like have to buy it, even if you like them or don't. And if it's a million dollars, you still have to buy it. So I should have thought of that before we posted it. And I'm sorry for that too. What's even funnier is that Knocked Loose also put up a piece of merch for $100 and nobody came at them for anything. But bottom line here is that bands are in an incredibly tough spot right now. I saw Anthony Green from Circus Survive leave a comment on Facebook last week saying he has a few months before he's completely fucked financially. Not having live events has completely screwed our world. Support the bands you like, and when it comes to the bands you don't who are just trying to make a living, keep your mouth shut. And that goes for me too. Speaking of bands trying to figure out how to make money during the pandemic, 
late last week, While She Sleeps launched their new fan-oriented community platform called Sleep Society for their new album and single of the same name. The band called their platform, quote, groundbreaking and made the entire first half of the video for their single a press conference of them answering questions on their big move. Listen, it's literally just a Patreon account. I was like, okay, this could be cool. They're talking about streaming and trying to figure out ways to make more money. And even though I was immediately skeptical of what they had come up with, I thought they were attempting to create an entirely different industry approach, but it's literally just a Patreon. Now, the cool thing about platforms like Patreon is that they're incredibly open-ended. It can be as broad and advanced as you wanna make it. So what While She Sleeps are doing is four monthly payment tiers starting at $6.50 a month and going all the way up to $77.50 a month. Although it's not public how many of each tier is available for purchase, the two highest, $77.50 and $26, are completely sold out. Some of the things included in the highest tier are free entry to the band's headline tours, which is one show per tour and requires a minimum three months prescription, access to their soundcheck headline shows, random special gifts in the mail, 20% off their online merch store, signed painted drum head, and some other things, as well as everything that's included in the first three tiers. So, I mean... If it wasn't for the pandemic and bands were touring and you were a diehard While She Sleeps fan, maybe this might make sense to you. I mean, I'd love to talk to someone who bought this and hear their thoughts on it, but don't look too hard into their you know, groundbreaking angle for it. It's a glorified Patreon account, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but While She Sleeps aren't changing the music industry here. They're far from the first band to be forced to use a crowdfunding platform. Amir did it just earlier this year, and I'm honestly surprised more bands haven't done it yet. One thing I will say is that I talk a lot about major labels on the show and how much it can help to have that kind of money backing you. But if you do things right and you have enough people that care, owning your own masters and having full control over your business can be just as, if not more, beneficial in the long run. The truth is, while she sleeps, we're never going to sign to a major label and get a mainstream push. But they know they do have an incredibly dedicated fan base and are currently the biggest they've ever been. Now's the time to do this. They had a pretty successful crowdfunding campaign a few years ago for You Are We. It's always interesting to see fans' reactions when bands sign to labels for distribution after a crowdfunding campaign. I remember He Is Legend had a super successful crowdfund campaign a few years back and then signed to Spine Farm after it. While She Sleeps signed to Sharp Tone after theirs, so I'm interested to see if they'll release this album on the label or if they're completely independent after talking about owning masters, because as far as I know, they never addressed that part. But regardless of all of this, the song is a banger. Ever since You Are We, this band has been putting out straight heat. They sound like if The Matrix was a metalcore band. So the song is dope, their Patreon seems to be working really well, and it looks like this band is figuring out how to make a future for themselves on their own terms. And they're doing it in the middle of a pandemic at that. So props to While She Sleeps. On the other side of the UK metalcore coin, we have Architects, who have released a new song called Animals. It's a step away from their traditional modern metalcore sound. We saw earlier this year that their vocalist Sam hates the bleh movement that he himself invented, so it's obvious we weren't going to get another typical Architects breakdown on this one, but there isn't one here at all, and there really aren't any outright screams either. It's really a synth-heavy Bring Me the Horizon core track 
with Sam singing about discontentment with life and the world around him. He says, we're just a bunch of fucking animals, but we're afraid of the outcome. Don't cry to me because the fiction that we're living in says I should pull the pin. Should I just pull the pin? The song's production is big, the riffs comes out on top, and probably the they're the heaviest parts of the song, to be honest. This is an attempt at rock radio, ultimately. They certainly checked off a lot of boxes for radio's current landscape, but I just don't think there's enough drive in the song itself to take it anywhere. I'm at a 6.3 out of 10 on the song, still super excited about the album. The progression of this band has been incredible to watch, and I'm stoked to see what else they can explore with a new direction. On to this week's radio rundown. Over at Top 40 Radio this week, we have MGK and Black Bear jumping from 43 to 34. It's going to be interesting to see what this song can do. Right now, it's got momentum, and signs say that it will easily break the top 20 and make it to the top 10, but we'll see. Over at Alternative Radio, All Time Low is still number one, with MGK's Bloody Valentine still in second. This is a wild stalemate going on right here, and it really doesn't look like MGK is going to make it to number one after all before they both start falling. I don't know how, but They Found Me breaks even at number nine this week. Obviously, this is already a win for the band, but I still got high hopes for this song. I expect it to keep climbing over the next while. Over at Rock Radio, I Prevail break even at number 8, but still a big increase in spins, so definitely expect this song to keep climbing. Bring Me the Horizon dropped to 18 with Parasite Eve. Ask Alexandria's They Don't Want What We Want takes a bit of a stumble this week, dropping from 19 to 21. I don't think this is telltale of the trajectory just based on how fast it has climbed to this point, but we'll see over the next month or so. Bad Omens drop a spot to 23, but they broke even on plays, so still keeping an eye there. Motionless and White's Killer Cover climbs two spots from 34 to 32, and Fit for a King lose a little momentum, falling from 37 to 41. Okay, moving on to this week's deep dive. Got a lot of people that have asked for this episode and are anticipating it. So, what was me was a lot of things. They were a product of the Rise Core movement, a, a promising future, a drama-filled existence, a launching pad for one of the scene's most notable modern bands, and so much more than that. This week, we're going to go through the history of the band, and because Bring Me the Horizon is dropping their new EP next week, and we're going to do a two-part BMTH dive, We'll continue the issues half of this episode, likely later in November or December, depending on how things roll out the rest of the year. But before I get into everything, I want to preface it with a few things. First, there are multiple sexual misconduct allegations that have come out against Tyler Carter in 2020, and he has since been kicked out of issues. I'll be covering them on the issues half of this deep dive later on, but I wanted to preface this episode with a general note since this one is just about what was me and we won't get to that part today. I've linked to Tyler's response and the allegations against him in the article for the podcast if you'd like to read any further. And second, there was a ton of behind-the-scenes drama throughout the existence of Woe Is Me that has never become public. Everything in this episode is public info, and since I know some former members of the band are listening, I'd absolutely love to have you guys on for a bonus follow-up episode unpacking everything. So hit me up, let me know. But let's take it all the way back 
to the beginning. Woe Is Me was formed by Austin Thornton, Kevin Hansen, Corey Ferris, and Ben Ferris. Austin was the drummer for former Rise Records band of Machines, who released one album called As If Everything Was Held in Place. The band was maybe a C-level draw at best, but this album is fairly beloved within the scenes community from this time, and they actually had a super controversial ending when they launched a crowdfunding campaign for a comeback EP in 2013, but it wasn't through any official platform. They still ended up raising a little over $2,000, and then their vocalist just fucking left, and they literally only ever finished one track and a demo, and that was it. I mean, it just goes to show literally anything associated with Woe Is Me has some drama attached to it. Be careful who you give money to on the internet, kids. So, Austin was in Of Machines. The Ferris Brothers were in a band called Shine Stokes. I actually found a demo of their song Scapegoat online. Here's what they sounded like. Pretty rough quality, but you get the idea. Then they added Tim Sherrill, who apparently played in a local band called Shooter McGavin. Then they rounded out the lineup finally with dual vocalists Tyler Carter and Michael Bone. At the time, Tyler and Michael were in a group called A Path Less Traveled. They were a pretty typical late 2000s, early 2010s electronic metalcore band, but the demos they had are actually fairly impressive with everything considered. They released an EP called From Here On Out. I believe it was actually on Spotify at one point, but I can't seem to find it now. So here's their song, We're Bringing Zanga Back. So before Woe Is Me released numbers, they dropped a three-song demo of Hell or High Water, I, and If Not For Ourselves. The production at certain points on numbers is super redundant, and it doesn't help that Austin literally plays one drum fill the entire album, so to hear these songs in a more raw environment is actually pretty refreshing. But after this, and still before the album, they dropped a cover of Kesha's TikTok. Check it out. Wake up in the morning feeling like PT I'm out the door, I'm about to hit this city When I wave, brush my teeth With a bottle of Jack Cause when I wave for the night Coming back I'm talking back here on a show This was peak metalcore cover times. Every fucking band was doing this, and not just Punk Goes Pop compilation covers, standalone ones. One of the first songs of Mice and Men ever released was a cover of Lady Gaga's Poker Face.
super young Crown the Empire dropped a cover of Drake's Forever on their Pure Volume page. Thanks to all the haters. This was literally a time when an obligatory cover of a pop or hip hop song was one of the first moves to launch your band. So after the demo and the cover, the band signed to Rise Records and their imprint, Velocity Records. I don't know the details of their contract, but Rise was definitely trying to build uh, some sort of subsidiary label at that point. This was heading into the label's peak commercial moment, and seeing metalcore money was pretty damn good. The band released numbers on August 30th, 2010. It was produced by Cameron Mizzle, who was actually like the great value version of Joey Sturgis. He worked with all of like the B and C level bands that Sturgis kind of just left over. Icy Stars, Hands Like Houses, Palisades, For All Those Sleeping, etc, etc. I actually managed to find a super old message board post that said numbers sold around 1700 units first week and that number does make sense. What Was Me was the definition of hype, but they were never actually that big because it kept falling apart before they could get to the next level. Numbers didn't break the top 200, but it was a promising launch out of the gates for a band who that was, I mean, snowballing in hype day after day. After the album dropped, they hit the ground running on the tour market. One of their first runs was actually a completely stacked scene lineup with From First to Last, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Sleeping with Sirens, For All Those Sleeping, Abandon All Ships, and Attila. I mean, that shit was like a mini fest every single night. But it was around this time where soul-influenced cleans became a mainstay in metalcore and post-hardcore bands. Between Johnny Craig, Tyler Carter, and Kellen Quinn, you really had the spectrum of semi-baritone, really gritty, straight-from-the-chest singing to full-on like constant falsetto-ish almost straight from the throat type singing. But these kind of vocals are what launched the scene's second era, and Woe Is Me were right at the forefront with what Tyler brought to the table. So the band were on the road throughout the rest of 2010 and into 2011, continuing to build momentum with the album on a consistent slow burn. In March of 2011, they released what would end up being the final Woe Is Me song ever released with Tyler Carter, Fame Over Demise. Everything about this song felt like a B-side to numbers to me, even though as far as I know, it was never actually considered one, and it was just a Lucy. I thought the acoustic version was a hundred times better, but we'll get into that in a minute. 2011 brought a lot of touring for Woe, but what it more importantly brought was a shit ton of lineup instability. Multiple members left and more were added in, including an ex-Abandon All Ships member, then, on August 10th, 2011, Tyler Carter shocked the scene's bubbling second wave when he announced that he was leaving Woe Is Me. Here's what his official statement said. It's not an easy step to make, but I can't go on living a dream that I no longer have full interest in. I love the fans, and I hope the true ones will stick with Woe Is Me and myself even after my departure. 
don't be ignorant to the situation. It's nothing personal with the boys. I love them all. I just can't fake passion that I once had. I always preach to my fans, follow your dreams, and I need to take my own advice. My dreams are not fully achieved. I achieved several with the band, but I have many more goals to reach. This lifestyle, rock and roll, and what it consists of just isn't for me anymore. Before any rumors start, yes, I am leaving woe is me. I will be blunt so you all know the truth directly from me myself. I'm not happy in this industry, and I'm more positive of a person than I have been able to display on recent tours due to drama within the band. Being in a band is not easy, and I'm not running from my problems, just following my heart, as I encourage you all to do. That's all you really can do. I'd like to thank the devil inside for slamming so many doors, but I thank God for opening so many more. A little over a month after this came the band's announcement of their replacement clean vocalist, Hans Allagood. Hans sang in the band Oh Manhattan, who he actually released a super solid full-length album with on Indianola Records. Take a listen. On point, there are some pretty dynamic guitar parts, melody and scream patterns are solid. I definitely recommend it. So Hans joins Woe Is Me and they drop by far and wide the best song of their career, Vengeance. The structure of this song is all over the fucking place. The math is so wrong, but they make it work. It's wild. It's like intro, verse, hook, breakdown, different hook, breakdown, this weird bridge thing, maybe a pre-chorus and then another breakdown. Hans came out of the gate swinging so hard and absolutely killed this song. It made him seem like a more controlled version of Tyler almost. And even though the band never said it, everyone thought this was a diss to Tyler too. Some of the lines in it are, and I'll take what is rightfully mine. You ran away, so I'm calling the shots this time. For every kid that you hear screaming loud and clear, you left them in fear. I told you that you'll reap what you sow, but you wanted fame, so fuck your ego. The tensions rise in your mind and you think back to realizing everything that you left behind. You've lost your flames in the darkest of night. Your ambitions are falling out of sight. What not a lot of people caught on to was that on the closing track of Numbers, Tyler sings, I can easily say that we will never change, but be implacable and never lose your flames. As you probably know, Issues later released a song called Never Lose Your Flames. There were a lot of lyric back and forth between Woe Is Me and Tyler slash Issues, but this one always stood out to me. But after this, the band stopped making headlines for a minute and kind of went dark for the most part. But then it all came to surface on March 7th, 2012, when screamer Michael Bone and both Ferris brothers left the band. It was blatantly obvious at that point that there were some serious, serious internal issues in Woe Is Me. Here was their collective statement. It doesn't come with any ease to announce, but the three of us have left Woe Is Me. Our differences were just too vast on so many levels, musical, personal slash moral, and professional slash business. It came to a point where we could either continue on the path they saw fit, or we could create our own path and find happiness in our own ways. We have nothing but gratitude for all the fans, every handshake, high five, hug, pat on the back, 
and kind word from you guys and gals means the absolute world to us. When one door closes, another opens, and we can't wait to see what's on the other side of this new door. Hope to see you on the road soon. Much love. About a month later, the band announced that Bone's replacement would be former That's Outrageous vocalist Doriano Magliano, after he had briefly filled in on tour for the band after Michael left. Quick shoutouts to That's Outrageous. They put out two really, really dope electronic horror albums, one on Rise Records and one on In Vogue. Definitely both worth a revisit if you're in an early 2010s metalcore mood. But so what was me spent the summer of 2012 in the studio working on what would be their second full-length album, Genesis, which would also climax into one of the scene's biggest moments of the modern era. It was also around this time that the band released the deluxe edition of Numbers, which featured the original album, plus Vengeance, Fame Over Demise, Caleb Shomo remixes of And Delinquents and Fame Over Demise, and then an acoustic version of Fame Over Demise featuring Hans on vocals, which is absolutely fantastic. I actually reviewed this album for Property of Zack way back in the day, shout out to the scene blogs, and I remember people being pissed that they didn't re-record the entire original album with Hans on vocals. I'd still love to hear what that would sound like today. Hans, I know you're listening. Get those delinquent stems somehow and put some fire over that shit. So at this point, Michael Bone and Tyler Carter had mended their bridge and formed issues. The hype for another heavy Tyler Carter band was insane. And then when Michael joined and made it What Was Me 2.0, the hype just went through the roof. It felt like forever that they were teasing their first release, but the ultimate scene metalcore beef came to a head on October 2nd, 2012 when Rise Records dropped simultaneous Woe Is Me and Issues diss tracks. The Woe Is Me song was called I've Told You Once and the Issues song was called King of Amarillo. Before I get too carried away with this, I do genuinely think there was real animosity between these two bands. From what I understand, it was mainly Tyler and Michael versus Austin Thornton and maybe a few stems off of that, but that was the, the general gist of it. But there was absolutely some behind the scenes fabrication with Rise dropping the songs on the same day at the exact same time, both bands seemingly knowing some details about one another's tracks and that the other would be dropping a diss in and of itself. But regardless, holy fucking shit, whoever writes the book on the scene, this moment will need an entire sidebar. What was me's song? Kind of felt like a sequel to Vengeance. It was the first time we heard Doriano, and he definitely had more of a snarl to his low-end scream, whereas Michael's was a lot more flat and kind of one-dimensional, so that added a bit more of a dynamic to Woe Is Me, but the production felt so mechanical at that point, and lyrically, it could not hold a candle to issues. Tyler and Michael bodied them, no doubt. Woe Is Me's big bar was... You're so proud of the one-liners you wrote, it must be hard to talk shit with a dick in your throat. Which, even though Tyler Carter didn't come out as bisexual until 2013, just felt homophobic and not a good look at all. Issues, on the other hand, came out absolutely swinging for the fences. The production was top-notch. There's a great balance between a traditional guitar and drum foundation with electronics that complemented the mix just perfectly. I don't want to give them and Chris Crummett, who produced it, too much credit, but it really had hints of some modern Linkin Park magic in there. 
and there really are so many ridiculous one-liners in here. Got the swag of a coward in the heart of a nemesis. If you don't like these lyrics, then go listen to Genesis. Sega, we ain't playing games. You took Demise, so we'll take the fame. Genesis obviously refers to Woe Is Me's album title, Demise, and Fame go back to Carter's Woe Is Me song, Fame Over Demise. And then the second verse of this song might be the most savage diss in all of scene history, minus maybe the bridge in Brand New 70 Times 7. Michael screams, I heard from your friends that you've been stricken with fear, desperate for press in your pathetic career. Can't get out of debt since your sales took a dive. You can find out the hard way cowards never thrive. If you'd cut records like cocaine, you could still have a fucking name. Yeah, I guess I took it too far and I know the truth hurts, but if you're scared, bitch, go to church. Holy shit. The comment section underneath this YouTube video was insane the night it dropped. There were a ton of things that led to the death of Woe Is Me, but this was a massive blow that caused irreparable damage to their ship. And then Issues pulled a fucking mic drop, didn't keep going after them, but Woe Is Me tried to write disses to them all over Genesis. They basically wrote an entire diss album. They were so obsessed with the drama, obviously. It didn't work for them. Although there are some pretty solid rise core moments on Genesis, it's really forgettable, especially when you had Woe Is Me 2.0 existing as issues and putting out way more dynamic and exciting songs. Genesis ended up selling 5,500 units first week. And for context, Issue's debut full length in 2014 sold 22,000 first week and debuted at number nine on the top 200. That debut is where Woe Is Me was heading after the hype of numbers, and then it all fell apart just as fast as it came together. On March 13th, the band announced that they had parted ways with drummer Austin Thornton, leaving Kevin Harrison as the only original member of the band. But then they continued touring and even put out a final EP called American Dream. At this point, they were bringing very little new to the table. It felt like an even worse produced Genesis, and they were trying to throw in some of the electronics that Issues had executed perfectly on Black Diamonds, but it just didn't work at all. Risecore had reached such a saturation point by 2013. Of Mice and Men had a big sound shift on Restoring Force. Issues were in their own league. Sleeping with Sirens were collabing with Machine Gun Kelly and having the biggest moment of their career. What Was Me just didn't know how to evolve, and they got left behind because of it. The band did have plans to record a third album, but in September of 2013, they officially announced their breakup. But even in death, the drama didn't end for Woe Is Me. Hans Allegood formed a new band in 2014 called Favorite Weapon and stirred the pot big time when he hijacked Woe Is Me's Facebook page and changed the name to Favorite Weapon. The band released one album called 60 Saragossa and the production on it is absolutely atrocious. Some of the songs aren't terrible structurally, but they literally took a perfectly capable voice from hands and buried it with some pretty incompetent mixes. A day to remember's old member Tom Denny produced it and I don't know what he was doing or who else was in the kitchen at that point, but he really just fucked the whole project over. But it didn't even matter because a year later in 2015, Hans left this band too. Eventually the favorite weapon, Woe Is Me Facebook page was just deleted. 
It had over a million likes on it. It's just wild how literally everything from the scene crashes and burns at one point or another. The scene never saw anything like Woe Is Me. It really didn't even last three years even. It was over that fast. But like I said, whoever writes the book on the scene is gonna have a wild, wild time with this chapter. But that does it for the life and death of Woe Is Me. Next week, we have part one of the Bring Me the Horizon deep dive, and we'll get to the issues half of this episode later on this year. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.